Well, good morning. Uh, Adam Smith here. Thank you all for uh, joining us for our Taurus Agronomic Bites podcast. It's our second one of the season. We're uh, we're pleased to do the better utilization of the soil we have. So we're honored to have Mark Belland with us, uh, joining us as a special guest. Uh, we'll get to some introductions shortly. Just a few housekeeping items um, for the people logged on. We do have uh, four resources on your side toolbar for uh, some reference. And uh, for the people listening in, if you want to log on to our website, www.taurus.ag, you can uh, get all the resources there. And if you're looking for another good resource, Premier Tech is a good one as well, www.ptagtive.com. And uh, we'll have those posted at the end of the podcast as well for everybody. So if you have questions as well, you can ask your questions and we will uh, we will answer them as time permits or as soon as we can. If we don't get to them, uh, one of your tourist reps will be happy to follow up with you afterwards and uh, we can answer your questions for you. So I think that kind of gets all the housekeeping items out of the way. Uh, again, I'm Adam Smith with Taurus Ag Marketing. Uh, I've been with Taurus for six years. All of those years, I've worked really closely with uh, Premier Tech Agriculture, bringing the active line of inoculants with Taurus to Western Canada. I guess maybe one thing about me um, is I own and live on a farm in southwest Saskatchewan in a little town called Beachy. So I'm going to ask Darren to introduce himself and before we uh, talk to Mark Belland. All right, thanks Adam. Thanks everyone for joining us today. My name is Darren Smith and uh, I haven't been with Taurus very long, closing in on a year now, but I uh, have been working with um, biological inputs and, and um, inoculants for majority of my career in agriculture, which is well over 20 years now in, uh, in Alberta mostly. So I have... Uh, Spent some time in Saskatchewan as well and Manitoba early on in my career, but uh, Alberta for a majority of it in the south. That's good, Darren and Adam. Thanks a lot uh, for having me here on the uh, podcast talking about soils. Um, I am director for uh, Premier Tech Agriculture. I've been with Premier Tech for uh, over 20 years. Um, and a little bit of my background, I uh, studied and went to university in Concordia in Montreal, where I got a master's in biology uh, and did a lot of work with uh, the topic that we're going to be talking about today, uh, biology in the soil and how they affect plant growth. So that's a little bit about me. Um, currently. Uh, living in eastern Canada, uh, right close to our head office, and uh, currently uh, living by the lake, um, where we're doing this podcast here today. So looking forward to uh, spending a little bit of time with everybody on the call and with uh, my colleagues, Darren and Adam, here today. Thanks, Mark. Um, I guess maybe a note as well. You lived in Swift Current for uh, how many years while we were uh, getting egg to going with Taurus? 
That's a good question. Uh, I lived in Swift Current uh, between 2011 and 2018, um, where I uh, set up shop there in Swift Current, which was our target focus area to uh, bring some premier tech products into uh, the Pulse market. Um, and then after uh, in the fall 2018, so going to be coming on two years now, came back to uh, head office to be closer to the family and also uh, manage North American sales for uh, for Premier Tech Agriculture. Sounds good. And by the just way, a, I really enjoyed uh, I really enjoyed my uh, my time out in Saskatchewan. I thought. Uh, uh, the farming community and uh, uh, colleagues uh, in um, in, uh, in the farming community were very uh, very welcoming, very uh, very nice, and learned a lot uh, about um, large scale farming. Uh, so it was really uh, really good experience. Awesome, thanks, Mark. Just on a family note, Darren and I are not related, so uh, <laughs> you can. Uh, Mark, mark that down. Just because we're Smith doesn't mean we're all related. Um, so anyway, you know we're talking about utilizing our soil and you know how it relates to agriculture. So you know, and I, you know, got my farming hat on. You know, we're all going to a little bit wider and wider row spacings, um, bigger drills, wider row spacings, so we can get them all pulled and you know get across some large farms. So. You know, but do we ever really look at what the impact is when it comes to the rooting zone of doing that? So we just want to start off by, you know, running that scenario, making everybody think, right? If, say a wheat, we're looking at wheat at something like 30 plants per square foot, maybe even more in some cases. Well, on a 12 inch row spacing, we're trying to jam 30 plants per foot of row in that seed row. So, you know, essentially, what does that do to the roots? You know, we want this nice stand. We want to keep it so it doesn't tiller a whole bunch. You know, it helps with our uh, disease management. But, uh, you know, when you jam that many plants per foot a row in, you know, what's it doing to that root architecture? So if you just play along, you know, we look, we take it down to a six-inch row spacing where you got still our 30 plants per square foot. We're, uh, we're only going to put 15 plants in that, you know, that actual row. So, you know, what does that do to our roots? You know, you'd think that's a huge impact of where our root can, can actually spread out and spread its wings a little bit. We're not jammed up against the next root. Um, so, you know, where does biology fit into that? Can we actually you know, use biology to help those roots expand the soil a little bit more. So now we know, you know, the logistics of farming, you know, a six inch row spacing is probably not going to work for a lot of people. We, uh, pretty hard to pull an 80 foot drill with six inch row spacings in the ground. So, you know, just logistics have to play a part in it too, but just be aware, you know, it's something that we don't really talk about that much. So. You know, how can this biology, how can this biology do? Do you guys want to, you know, start, I guess? You got any ideas of stuff that'll increase, increase our rooting zone a little bit, right? 
biology has got uh, can play a big role in that. Um, there's a lot of uh, biology going on in the soil, as we know, and uh, mostly good, actually. But you know, in the past, we've always concentrated on the bad for the most part. But um, can't really grow a crop without soil biology, and um, a lot of them act like um, root stimulants to help uh, root growth, um, stimulate uh, longer root growth. And some act like root hairs to uh, expand that uh, rooting zone of different crops. Help you know, explore all that. So maybe, maybe we should look at it from the other side. Is uh, you know what's native prairie? You know we talk about farming community and you know zero till and conventional till, but maybe we got to take it really back and just go like you know what's the native ecosystem like? You know, maybe that's a question for Mark. You know, how how can we compare the two or, you know, what are the differences between just, you know, what's undisturbed? How does that biology look like compared to what we're doing? Well, that's a, that's a good question, Adam, and it's a good, uh, I guess, reference point uh, to start off with. Um, you know, in natural prairie ecosystems, uh, you have perennial plants that are going to grow year after year. And, you know, when you really think about it, um, nobody really goes out and manages a lot of the uh, natural prairie land or even forests. And what plants rely on is a lot of the biology in the soil to, to give them a hand. Um, you know, a lot of the fungi and bacteria that are found in the soil, a lot of their um, functioning is for decomposing organic matter, helping to cycle nutrients, and then make those nutrients available uh, to the plant system um, in those undisturbed uh, uh, natural ecosystems. So, you know, biology uh, together with plants and the soil, they kind of know what to do. Uh, between themselves and amongst themselves. Uh, they've, uh, they've grown up together, so they each have their own functions and uh, good healthy soil has a good balance of, uh, of good bacteria and fungi that'll help cycle those nutrients. But if you compare to um, our, uh, our farming systems, well, obviously we're growing annual crops mainly, um, where you're seeding in the spring and you're harvesting in the fall. And every year you're changing the ecosystem. You're taking the plants off, you're harvesting, uh, you may be doing some soil work. So, you know, the, the, the natural way of doing things between fungi, bacteria, and plants, uh, doesn't really look quite the same in our uh, in our farming practices where a lot of it's artificial and you're basically uh, reintroducing um, fertility uh, and good practices to make sure that your plants have the nutrients that they need to grow. Um, and that's where, you know, uh, a lot of the discussion here today on better using what's in the soil uh, well, a lot of that function is done by little bugs that you can't see. 
fungi and bacteria. And that's their role uh, to help make those nutrients available or help plants access those nutrients to uh, improve the growth and make sure that we're good to get good healthy crops and good yields. Yeah, yeah they I really mean, help. Oh, go ahead, Adam. I was just going to say even zero till is, you know, quite a bit of disturbance from, you know, if we're relating back to a natural ecosystem or prairie or whatever, we're still disturbing the soil quite a bit compared to that. So, yep. Yeah, you're still um, disturbing that web, especially when we're talking fungi. You know, it almost like creates a, a spider web or a, a web within the soil to translocate nutrients and water and uh, move uh, that around within the soil and any type of disturbance is going to disrupt that system. Yeah. Uh, maybe just a question for you then, Darren, is, uh, you know, what, what are kind of common? I mean, we're, I believe we probably got most people on our podcast here from Western Canada, but, uh, you know, what are kind of some common stuff that practices that growers in Western Canada are doing when it comes to, you know, say even just fungus to start with? Yeah, sure. There's, uh, of course, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different types of fungus in the soil. Um, they all perform a different function and uh, compete for space and nutrients and, uh, and, per and like I said, perform different functions. And uh, there's actually communication between fungi and, and uh, plants to reciprocate um, on that. And, you know, in the past, there's been a uh, real focus on uh, fungi that are harmful, um, you know, root rots and that sort of thing. And uh, how we protect our plants from that, which is highly important. Um, in the past decade or two, there's been a shifting focus to uh, beneficial fungus, um, where it really helps stimulate plant growth and uh, help with uh, plant health and access nutrients for the most part. And now we're actually seeing introduction of uh, some biocontrols uh, in the greater North American Great Plains, uh, fungi controlling uh, uh, pests. So as in uh, controlling some of those root rots and even some biocontrol insecticides uh, by fungi. In Western Canada, um, and there's been commercially used fungus for quite a while now. Um, one of them, probably the first one that was introduced commercially was penicillium boli for help solubilizing phosphate. And it's a naturally occurring mold and uh, just grows in the rhizosphere of the plant and releases some citrates and helps solubilize the floss that's otherwise tied up. Uh, there's trichoderma that's on the market as well. And that uh, actually acts almost like a bit of a soil, um, I guess, root protectant and uh, quasi-fungicide. Um, for lack of a better term, on, on the root. So it keeps that uh, plant root healthy when it's in uh, high enough proportions. But I think the biggest one, um, not maybe not in terms of use, but uh, naturally occurring and just the whole total weight and makeup of the soil biota is uh, AMF or arbuscular mycorrhizae fungi. So it's 95% uh, of all plants and 
in the world uh, form a relationship with uh, with mycorrhizae, and it's highly dependent dependent on it. And um, so those are some of the more common commercially available um, inputs, I guess you can say, in Western Canada. Yeah, I mean, mycorrhizae is obviously pretty near and dear to our heart um, here uh, with Taurus and Premier Tech. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's it's super neat, I guess. And, you know, Premier Tech's got a really big business with horticulture as well and you know been putting in mycorrhizae in the peat mixes for for many many years and you know even naturally like you say you get into the forest right and you know the type of uh, an ecto i believe right mark in the in some forest mycorrhizae where they just keep growing and growing because you know for us as an annual plant it's really only growing and we're harvesting that plant's essentially dying but you know those those plants or trees that are growing 12 months of the year essentially are are still feeding that mycorrhizae network 12 months of the year so you know it just continues to associate and and bring in nutrients so agreed you know and obviously we brought in mark to to talk about some of his expertise on there and you know mycorrhizae being one of them so Mark, do you want to talk a little bit about mycorrhizae? You know, maybe mycorrhizae and then some symbiosis. Um, there's a really neat interaction that happens with fungus and bacteria, as we were talking about. Uh, sure, I can definitely talk about mycorrhizae, but maybe uh, taking a, a quick step back on mycorrhizae. You know, uh, Darren talked a lot about, you know, the the fungi uh, that are available commercially, um, some maybe more known or less known than others, but I'm sure one thing that everybody uh, around the podcast and uh, that is farming um, can relate to bacteria, you know, uh, the first, uh, or one of the first anyway, uh, biologicals that were actually used commercially where it would be the, the the nitrogen fixing bacteria so the the inoculants that we use for our peas lentils baba beans chickpeas and uh, and soybeans so so you know bacteria are obviously very important as well and you know speaking on the commercial side uh you know rhizobia and brady rhizobia have been uh widely used uh in uh in farming practices as inputs uh, which have a lot of benefits uh, um, for the plant. So, you know, we're talking about symbiosis and rhizobium. Well, rhizobium is also a symbiotic bacteria that uh, that forms an association with, uh, with legumes um, to basically uh, fix free, uh, free nitrogen from the air uh and they fix that uh inside of a specialized structure called a nodule which i'm sure everybody is who dug up a plant has seen those bulgy uh nodules on uh on a pulse crop um and that's where all the work of the the nitrogen fixing happens with uh with the uh with the rhizobia um 
I know that there are some uh, resources available on the uh, on the rhizobium symbi uh, symbiosis and system. But you know, in a nutshell, I mean, it's a fairly expensive, and I'm talking about a biologically expensive process because it has to build uh, it has to build a nodule. So uh, the rhizo the rhizobia and the root uh, work together to make a little uh, make a little house for uh, for nitrogen fixing for the rhizobia, and that energy takes uh, takes phosphorus uh, and lots of phosphorus. So um, there again, some of the importance of uh, proper fertility for uh, for our crops, um, and I guess where the the symbiosis and mycorrhizae might fit in there, uh, you know, the mycorrhizae is a fungus which is uh, uh, which forms a symbiosis with plant roots because fungus, uh, I mean, mycorrhizae uh, are unlike most fungus if not all fungus out there that they actually can't take up sugar or they can't make their own carbon source for building those building blocks to, to, to live so they have made a deal with plants where the plants will supply the fungus the mycorrhizal fungus with sugars uh, for it to grow and in return the mycorrhizal fungus will give nutrients back to the plant so the fungus um, uh, the mycorrhizae like darren uh, mentioned makes a, a web into the soil uh, has access to a lot more nutrients uh, and actually takes those nutrients up from the soil and through a pipeline that's connected to the plant through the root system transfers those nutrients back to the root system for the plant to use it also can access and uptake water uh, as well from the soil so so there's a nice collaboration going on um, with these symbiotic uh, little bugs the bacteria and the fungi with plant roots uh, to make uh, a virtual uh, natural prairie land where you know your bacteria and your fungi collaborate with plants and they all work together to make sure that they all survive and all thrive in the soil that, uh, that's great mark and uh just touch on that uh the size and the distance that uh, mycorrhizae can expand that rooting zone i think it goes back to our first point about crowding the the uh that seed row when we're trying to get enough plants per square meter and we have wider row space in you know, it's, uh, it's actually quite tremendous, the, the area that mycorrhizae can expand that root system. I think we do have some data on that, don't we? Yeah, there, there's some uh, data uh, that's actually a lot into the literature. I mean, mycorrhizae are studied uh, throughout the world in, uh, in a number of universities uh, on, on a multitude of uh, different topics, but one of them uh, is to show the importance that mycorrhizae have that you know you were talking about active root hairs and building a secondary root system well we've seen in our labs because it's easy to see in controlled conditions that the mycorrhizal uh, pipeline that I was talking about the hyphae uh, actually can extend out to 
10, 15, or 20 centimeters away from the root system uh, to access a lot more soil. So if you think of your 12-inch row spacing, and you know the the distance in between would be uh, you know six inches. So you know mycorrhizal hyphae can definitely travel that distance uh, in uh, in a matter of uh, in a matter of days or weeks to be able to help the plant uh, and the root system access a lot more of the, the fertilizers that we're putting in just to make sure that we are investing in fertilizers to, to help grow our crops. Well, we know a lot of them aren't always easily accessible or in the right place at the right time for the root system. And that's where, you know, these beneficial fungi uh, play a really key role in uh, in helping uh, plants achieve their the nutrition they need. Yeah, for exactly. Okay, Some yeah, are helping yeah, stabilize that. Stabilize that. Look, that. Oh, look at ahead, you Adam. guys go. Look at you guys go. I'm talking in uh, inches and uh, feet, and Darren and Darren and Mark are talking in uh, square meters and centimeters. You guys are making <laughs> me feel bad here. <laughs> and you're the young one. You should be all yeah. over that metric system. <laughs> exactly. I'm right in the in between. I'm right in the in between phase. I think so. But uh, sorry, what I was going to jump in for is, you know, Mark's talking about how many 10, 10 12 centimeters uh, can go. But you know, Darren alluded to it is, you know, if we go to our twelve-inch row spacing, we're essentially can get six inches. You know. 12 centimeters or 15, however much that works out to work that 12 inch row spacing. Now we can get hyphae from essentially touching one row to the other. That be, that'd be fair to say, Mark. Would definitely be, uh, be fair to say. And I guess a fun fact, uh, about mycorrhizae and I guess fun fact would be, uh, dependent on uh, on your way of viewing it but uh, you know we're talking about uh, the, the, the natural ecosystems well one thing that uh, some of these university studies have shown is that mycorrhizal hyphae actually connect different plants together and they've seen some nutrient transfer between one plant to the other um, so so you know it just goes to show some of the the diversity and some of the things that are microscopic and we can't really see even if we wanted to stick our heads in the soil uh all of this is microscopic action um but you know these uh these systems uh, uh have have worked together for a long time and there are uh interconnections between plants uh that also happen um uh with uh, with mycorrhizal hyphae so uh for sure the 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 six inches uh or further away uh is definitely not an issue uh or a challenge even for uh for mycorrhizal hyphae to to, to span that uh, that length yeah but, uh some more interesting or fun facts i guess uh with that um that you, you touched on is um the relationship between land plants and, and mycorrhizae are ancient um they go back to um, time of first plants growing on on soil 
it was the mycorrhizae was the root system. So to establish that, so that's how uh, plants moved from aquatic base when it was all water to uh, to land. And then, uh, yeah, there was a, I read a really nice, neat study about uh, some mycorrhizae in the forest setting where you touched on plants sharing nutrients, and um, they were shown to uh, uh, even different between different species of trees. Um, that might transferring nutrients from a healthy tree to a tree that was not as healthy through the mycorrhizae uh, web in the soil. So there is communication going on, and I think we've uh, we haven't really touched on that. But just to even establish relationships on annual crops, there's um, plants communicate to the mycorrhizae and the micro, or uh, not just mycorrhizae, but to the soil biota and and back. You know the rhizobia and um, and mycorrhizae send communications between them, each other to say that you know we are the right bacteria or the right uh, mold or fungus to uh, to establish and to help each other out. So it's pretty neat, uh, pretty neat system, that's for sure. Yep, and communication is key, uh, just like it is mm -hmm. with us humans. Uh, it's just as important with uh, with bacteria bacteria fungi and plants i mean uh, you you need to communicate and that communication is super important and those uh, those channels are uh, are definitely uh, developed and uh, and very active and um, another another really good advantage of um, mycorrhizae hyphae is their size uh, so if we're in they're very fine compared to root hairs and so besides having length there's um they're able to get into tight spaces and tight spore poor spore poor spaces so in, in heavy soils and clay soils where we have tightly packed uh porosity then um root hairs might have trouble pushing their way through that and but the hyphae mycorrhizae can can wind their way through and access those uh moisture and, and uh nutrients farther out where the root hairs wouldn't be able to as well Yeah, most definitely. Um, see a couple of questions uh, here in the uh, the chat box that I uh, think I can uh, maybe answer one or two of them here. Uh, quite interesting. Uh, one question was about, uh, you know, we're talking about rhizobia and mycorrhizae working together for pulses. Uh, but one thing that Darren noted is that, uh, you know, 95% of all plants have an association with mycorrhizae. Uh, there are different types of mycorrhizae, but uh, the mycorrhizae that we're talking about here, the AMF or the endomycorrhizae, uh, do form a very beneficial relationship with wheat, with cereals. Um, uh, so the, 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 one of the interesting facts on, uh, on the endomycorrhizae is that since it forms a, an association with so many land plants, um, the, the specificity or the host uh, specificity that we see with the rhizobia uh, is not necessarily reflected in the mycorrhizal, uh, the endomycorrhizal system where they're, they're, pretty, uh, they're pretty versatile and they can actually uh, form a lot of good associations with uh, with cereals, um, in a lot of our studies, uh, 
we've seen that uh, that you can uh, uptake more nutrients uh, and grow more with the same fertilizer that you're putting down. So we have seen positive effects on uh, plant stands, plant health, uh, and also uh, yield on uh, on many cereal crops that uh, that were that were growing. Um, a lot of the you know being camped out in uh, or established in Swift Current for several years, obviously had a lot of lot of eyes-on and hands-on experience uh, on the benefits of mycorrhizae with Durham. Uh, saw some really interesting positive results uh, uh, of uh, some of our customers using, uh, some of our growers using uh, the inoculant on the uh, on the cereal side and uh, being quite uh, quite happy with, uh, with the benefits, not only on yield, I would say, but uh, grain quality. Uh, we've seen some interesting things. Uh, related to grain quality, um, and you know, one parallel or image I always like to bring up at that point um, is the fact that you know, just like us, uh, you know, we you know need our vitamins, we need our fruits and veggies, we need to be healthy to fight off uh, some diseases and to uh, to, to be healthy. Um, well, it's the same thing with plants and with you know, these beneficial uh, bacteria and fungi, will they help build a healthier plant and help build a stronger immune system for the plant? Um, not saying that uh, they, they act as, uh, as fungicides, but the healthier your plant is, just like the healthier you are, the better chance that it'll be able to, to fight off some, uh, some, some of the diseases. Yeah, and then um, just plain old competition too. I think um, you know having beneficials uh, in a high concentration gives them a better chance of establishing on that plant than uh, than parasitic um, molds and fungi and and bacteria. You know, just give them a better chance to compete for that uh, space on the roots and the nutrients that the plant provide um, when you have. The beneficials in a in a high number and concentration in that root zone. Most definitely, yep. Sorry right, guys, um, jump. I'll just jump in here. Sorry, my looks like webcam just got a little technical difficulty, but I think you still got me here. So, okay, great. Um, go ahead, Darren. No, I was just glad you're back. <laughs> you never lost me. Just technical difficulties, I guess, from. Uh, beautiful rural Saskatchewan. So I think you answered those really good, Mark. Um, you know, we actually did a really in-depth uh, webinar quite a while ago on mycorrhizae and rhizobium uh, with Mike Dolinsky and myself. So we do have reference to that on our website, uh, our tourist.ag website. So you want to dig into it a little deeper, we can always uh, go through there and look at some resources there as well. Um, maybe the one thing I was thinking of was maybe uh, stem strengths and stuff like that. Like anecdotally, we've seen some really nice stuff. Um, you know, just talking about the the AMF and the wheat, or even the pulses, right? Yeah, well, definitely. And uh, without 
getting too technical here today, but um, you know, there's a very uh, well-known positive relationship between the the your stem versus the mass of the root system. So mycorrhizae have uh, several other fungi and bacteria, but mainly mycorrhizae have a really big impact on on root growth and root mass mass. So actually, as you're building uh, more roots and having a stronger root system, well, a lot of that energy is being put into a thicker and stronger stem. Um, so anecdotally, like you say, Adam, and I think we've seen some of that together and um, potentially a lot of you might have uh, seen it out in the field that, um, you know, we do see, uh, you know, thicker stems, especially uh, on lentils. Uh, you know, we've seen, uh, we've seen them stand up a little more. Um, and we definitely have seen uh, stronger stems or healthier plants on the, on the wheat side, which have uh, uh, prevented the, prevented them from uh, from falling over. And we actually have some some pictures on that. But uh, there's a, the, there's a direct uh, biological relationship between your root size and your stem uh, width. So as you're building a strong, healthy root system, well, that translates into uh, a stronger stem. That's awesome. Cause you know, you think, uh, you know, some of the, you get more into that Northern Alberta country, right. Where they had lots of, lots and lots of rain, um, through there. And, you know, maybe, maybe some, you know, you get wet and not so good a root structure on them. It'd be interesting to see, you know, some of the spindlier plants that come out of the, even the drought or not even drought stress, but you get into the wet, wet stress and you know flooding scenario right so yeah definitely seen it where you get splinterly plants and you go to pull them and there ain't much root structure to those plants yeah, so, I don't know, we got about uh i don't know we got about 10 i don't know maybe 10 or 15 more minutes um we hadn't really talked much about mark talked about a little bit of uh, rhizobium but uh you know it's keeping with some of the education portion of the podcast here you know some new bacteria that are coming into the marketplace you know are getting there's lots of people talking about you know and i guess bacillus would essentially be an easy one to to flip to on that standpoint but uh when you guys want to tackle you know just maybe a brief overview of kind of what bacillus is doing or why people are kind of putting it in the in products, I guess. Yeah, well, I can uh, do a do a quick answer, and you can add there, Darren, uh, uh, from your uh, your experience and in, uh, in biologicals and your career as well. Um, but you know, for sure, we see a lot of bacillus uh, out in the marketplace currently. Um, and you know, when you think about it, uh, uh, bacillus are generally uh, uh, good um, good bacteria that do have some uh, some positive impacts on on the soil and also on plants uh, 
a lot of the bacillus that are out there, or a lot of the studies that have been done with bacillus uh, show that um, there's a lot of compounds uh, that are exuded by uh, by some of the the, the bacillus uh, that were, that have been studied. And some of those compounds uh, that are basically let out into the soil uh, have a lot of interesting properties to uh, control bacteria or fungi growth. So I would say that the bacillus have a tendency to be classed into the the, the good uh, the good guys that you want, um, and they could have. Uh, you know, going back to some of the signaling, they could have some some molecules or some compounds that'll stimulate some of the root system, but at the same time, they could act as uh, uh, providing a, a barrier or a growth inhibitor uh, to these bad fungi and bacteria that cause root rot uh, and other things. So again, not all bacillus are the same. Uh, there are some that, you know, exude out into the soil more or less of these compounds. Uh, but one thing that's definitely interesting about the bacillus uh, group of bacteria is uh, a lot of them do have those properties to, to, to help control uh, in the right condition some of the, some of the bad things that we don't want growing close to our root system. You know, we've uh, touched on a little bit on what affects uh, growth of their different uh, soil biota or microbiota and uh, uh, soil like tillage. Um, and, you know, we said 95% of the crops have form association with uh, AMF, but we really haven't talked about, um, you know, conditions that affect good or bad, uh, the, the growth of these uh, good um, bacteria and, and fungi that we want should be uh, talk to talk to that a little bit. Yeah, that's a great great way to go. I think Darren for sure. You want to tackle that? Yeah, I could start, but uh, definitely would uh, jump in where I points that I might miss out on for sure. I think the biggest one where we talked about is uh, you know going from native soil to uh, to crop production is uh, tillage. Um, you know, it's pretty hard to grow a grow a crop in Western Canada without doing some sort of tillage, even zero till. You know, we are disturbing that soil and um, and breaking that web up of some good bacteria and fungus. So I think that's probably uh, one we have to look at. So um, you know, every time we uh, we till, and some crops you just can't <laughs> grow without tillage, right? So it uh, it really helps to have uh, maybe add some good soil um, microbes back into that if we're if we're doing that so just to get the right the right ones in the right place at the right time which is another thing we haven't talked about right so uh, especially when we're yeah. talking rhizobia um, you know there's uh, different thoughts on if we have to uh, inoculate every year and um, you know there's lots of good data that shows that that is a very good way to make sure we have good nitrogen production in our pulse crops is to inoculate every year, even if we're in a fairly heavy rotation. Just getting back to that, the right ones at, in the right place at the right time. If we're relying on background rhizobia for inoculation, um, 
you know, they do survive year to year for sure. They are naturally occurring. Um, but they, uh, once the, you know, the plant dies, the rhizobia that are going to survive are going to naturally select for just that survivability, maybe not so strong in the nitrogen production portion anymore. And they're going to die back to a background level. So they might not be in a high enough population near the roots when you want them to cause good nodulation. So in my mind, you know, obviously we're, we're selling the product, but um, when you're looking at a, just a single um, strain or single action rhizobial inoculant, it is a pretty cheap insurance to make sure that you have good nitrogen fixation and, and uh, nitrogen um, to that crop to grow because to try and rescue it after it, which I have tried to do with some farmers is uh, not fun to, to apply nitrogen fertilizer, trying to rescue a bad nodulation. I think if I yeah, could I maybe add. Go uh, ahead, Mark. Sorry, Adam. I just wanted to add something to what uh, Darren was mentioning about uh, about you know the the background or the survivability of uh, of bacteria, and you can even say, uh, equate that to, to fungi as well. Is that you know the you it doesn't mean even if there are some that survive, it doesn't mean that it's going to be right by your seed when you're going to be reseeding the the following uh, the following season so so you know just thinking about the spatial distribution uh you, we all know that you know you don't want to take any chances and hoping that the good rhizobia or the good mycorrhizae is right beside the seed that you just planted uh you're you're changing your row facing you're changing uh the seed uh, and if you think about it you know you want to maximize your chances of having a good crop and that means of having that good biology as close to the seed as possible so that when the seed germinates well it doesn't have to hope and wait for a good guy to come and visit if there's one right there uh, ready to go uh, go to work uh, as soon as those roots uh, merge out of the seed well, then you're not losing any time, uh, precious time in your growing season. So you wanna you wanna make sure that you you put that close to the seed, and uh, that you know that you're putting the good one at the right place and the right time. Another one we should mention quickly you. as our time's running down is um, just based on that crop rotation, right? So we rotate away from pulses, background rhizobia go away. But we've also mentioned that uh, you know 95% of plants host mycorrhizae. There's the big one in Western Canada that we grow that doesn't host it. So then we have to, if we have that in our rotation, we have to make sure that you know if you want good mycorrhizae establishment in the next year is canola, right? All of our brassicas and mustards down here in southern Alberta and southern Saskatchewan are a non-host for AMF or mycorrhizae. So it takes quite a while for um, background levels to, to reestablish after growing that crop that year. Another one that can affect uh, soil micro or yeah, microbial. We, we got a really nice study that uh, any one of us with Taurus or Premier Tech can share um, how it took 62 days to uh, bring the background population back up to the equilibrium or back to the level before a canola crop. So 
you know, I guess I look at it all the time and we grow a 90 day crop. If we take 62 days to, uh, to bring those background levels back to, you know, the normal, I guess, call it, you know, what are we losing? What is the opportunity cost there? You know, should we be looking at the, the insurance to, to make that happen? So we don't lose those, uh, three quarters of the growing season, I guess, growing back that biology. Uh, but yeah, all good points. Uh, I think Mark hit where I was going to go with the row spacings on that. So I think we covered all that off. And, you know, I think the one thing I did, did want to talk about, we're not going to talk about canola rotation too much. Um, but, you know, I think if Mark can just uh, go over a few minutes here, you know, we talk about some bad stuff in our soil and, you know, the good stuff and how it relates and how it works that's kind of where everybody gets bogged down in all the the information trying to differentiate it all but uh you know club root obviously is a big thing in you know the the canola market you get a phytomyces in the you know more of the pulse growing area you know it's a really hot topic right now and you know i don't think we got a lot of time to get into it but maybe if we could dip into you know, an ooh spore, a zoo ooh spore, Mark, you know, maybe this is where your expertise can come in and give us, you know, five minutes of uh, just making heads or tails of uh, some of these things that the farmers are hearing. Yeah, well, uh, definitely, uh, definitely a topic of interest, uh, just from a lot of the damage that it's doing. Uh, uh to do canola and pulses uh on the aphidomyces side and the club root side for canola um and you know you kind of unfortunately uh biology is smart uh, they they know what to do and when to do it whether it's good or bad so you know one of the things that uh that these uh that these two diseases the aphidomyces and the, the club root have in common um is that the 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 mic the microbe that's uh responsible for that is smart it does a a spore structure so it's relating to uh, uh to let's say a plant seed well your seed is there uh it's pretty hardy uh it's pretty hardy it can it can overwinter Good conditions, it'll uh, it'll germinate and uh, and grow. So the 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 seed on the the fungus or these uh, these type of fungi, um, they also produce spores uh, in the soil that can overwinter. And when conditions are right, uh, or they have a right plant uh, that's close by, well, they would in theory germinate and cause the damage on the root system that we see with club roots or phenomyces. So, so the, the, the spore itself uh, is a resting structure. Uh, a phenomyces, you know, we hear, like you said, Adam, ooh, spores. Um, well, those are basically the type of spores that the, the, the mold, the, the mold-like uh, fungus like uh, phenomyces makes it obviously moves in the the water column in the, in soil, 
so it can move tanks to water to uh, hopefully land on a root system or hopefully not for the farmer. Um, whereas the, the, the responsible one for the club root in canola is actually a zoo spore. So if you think zoo, well, it sounds more a little bit like an animal. Well, it actually can move itself. It's got a little propeller that it can move through the water column and actually move towards the root system. So I guess the, the, the club root one um, is maybe a little bit more, uh, more adaptable that it can actually propel itself uh, to reach a root system. Whereas the old mice eat there just basically relies on on the water to to hopefully land close to a root. So, but again, the water kind of the water kind of pushes it down the row essentially, then doesn't propel itself. Correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And you know, again, that's a lot of the 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 kind of microscopic battles that go on uh, in the soil naturally. Uh, you know, the the phenomyces or the club root or the fusarium root rot. Uh, you know, with these beneficial uh, fungi, bacteria, you know, they're they're just they're added tools for for us to to, to use and to put all of the uh, all of the the chances or increase your percentage of having a healthy crop if you're creating a more healthy root system. Well, chances are you might be able to fight off some of phenomyces. It is difficult and it does uh, does persist in the soil, but you know, again, on a on a healthier plant, you might have a less severe disease. Maybe you'll still have some, but it should be less severe uh, when you have some good biology uh, going to war for your plants. Yeah, I mean they're dormant and dormant for quite a while by the sounds of it. So you know, that's why they're pretty persistent, but just opportunistic, I guess, right? I think you hit on yep. it. It's uh, all these kind of bad stuff are so opportunistic. You know, I hate to say it's poor rotation, but sometimes, you know, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't, but uh, environment plays a big role in it as well. You know, I hate to say balance because, it, you know, you can almost never want to do the balance, but uh you know, there is a kind of an equilibrium of going back to the whole native prairie where, um, you know, there's mycorrhizae and or mycorrhizae as well as all sorts of fungus and bacteria working together. And now, you know, we got some bad stuff kind of working against us as well. So, you know, maybe just a quick reminder, we only got maybe about five more minutes left. So uh, if anybody wants to ask another question, we're kind of caught up on a few questions um you know we can probably talk all day but we're going to wrap it up here uh right at 10 o'clock so uh, we can get everybody on their way and value everybody's time um you know you think outside the box maybe you know i think mark we were talking about you know balance and stuff and it's really no different from plants as it is in humans when you uh, relate how a human grows to how a plant grows, we need essentially a lot of the same nutrients to live. Um, there's a lot, 18 plus nutrients that we all share that, you know, we plants 
need to grow and we need to grow. But, uh, you know, there's lots of stuff on the whole human gut and biome of the, of your lining of the gut. And, you know, a lot of that is bacteria and, uh, you know, a balance of stuff that's, that's in our body as well, let alone what's in, in the plants. See one of the gotcha. questions about, uh, about solubilizing bacteria in the soil and, uh, um yes they uh, they are part of uh, of the good uh, bacteria you know there are some bacteria that uh, similar to uh what Darren mentioned earlier about uh, penicillium bullae uh, exuding some acids to 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 make some phosphorus more available well you know some of the bacteria have the same kind of function uh they can help you know cycle nutrients make nutrients more available um so yeah uh there there's definitely some research out there that shows some of the the possible uh, beneficial effects of uh, solubilizing bacteria um and you know one of the thing uh one of the things that we uh, that we try and do is uh when you're working with multiple different uh bacteria fungi in a commercial product is always to make sure that they are compatible with each other because the last thing you want to do is have a bunch of things in there and have one counteract the other um, so that's uh, one of the challenges of actually bringing some of the some of this biology out into uh, into the marketplaces what to put together uh, how to formulate and make sure that it remains alive until you need it that's a good Good conversation, Mark. I mean, I think Premier Tech's done an awesome job doing that. I mean, we've had mycorrhizae for 35 years, you know, relatively new in ag, but uh, 35 years in horticulture stuff and really perfected a, a method of bringing that high quality product. So, you know, I think that's a really good take home point is, is be careful with, uh, you know, looking at that stuff and, you know, look at the quality as well as all the other stuff coming to market. So any other closing thoughts for you guys before I wrap it up with it for today? Uh, no, just thanks for the opportunity to talk about that. And thanks for the, the audience for listening. And uh, now we're just basically touched on briefly on a huge subject. So like you said, we didn't start. We could have talked for hours. We didn't even talk about azobacteria and nitrogen other nitrogen solubilizing or creating bacteria that's a lot of work going on with that especially in cereal crops and and that at the moment too yeah definitely i'll second that darren uh thanks for everybody to uh showing up today and uh, participating and i really enjoyed uh uh talking with you with uh, with you guys about uh about the soil something that's very dear to me and um Really appreciated the opportunity, and uh, you know we're we're there. We're available for uh, for more talks or more questions, or if you're looking for additional resources, uh, you know uh, contact the rep, uh, contact us, and and we'll do our best to, to provide you with some some good, credible, uh, reliable info. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Darren, for joining us. Um, kind of a new new way we're going to start doing some podcasts if everybody likes it. Um, 
So thank you for joining us for this. I echo everything that uh, Darren and Mark had said. Um, so please join us. I believe our next one is November 3rd. Uh, I believe around the salinity and alkalinity in our soil we're working on. So stay tuned for some stuff on there. And uh, please check out our websites if you uh, need some resources. And yes, reach out to a tourist rep or anybody who can help you. We're very passionate about all this stuff. Agriculture alone, let alone, uh, you know, the products within the active portfolio. So thank you very much and uh, enjoy your day.